While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. My daughter has been interested in fossils and geology since she was very young. One of my favorite memories takes place a few years ago, when we located a deposit of fossils in northern Georgia. We scrambled down an embankment alongside a river, and I picked up a rock, and there in the first rock I picked up was the imprint of a trilobite, a creature that lived there some 350 million years ago. When this little animal was still alive, most of northwest Georgia was under a shallow sea. She told me a story of how so many fossils had come to be in this spot. Apparently, there was an undersea mudslide that buried a colony of trilobites. Large clusters and even juveniles have been found in this location. The site's unavailable right now, so I'm not going to tell you exactly where it is. If you dig into the ground in northwest Georgia, you'll encounter a layer of shale that was deposited during that time. And if you find a piece of shale, look close. You'll often find a cast of an ancient fern, or if you know what to look for, the fossil of an animal called a brachiopod. There were lots of them in the sea, and my daughter has found their fossil remains pretty much anywhere we found shale deposits. We once drove out to northwest Georgia to visit Chattanooga and maybe do a little fossil hunting, and we found several boxes of brachiopods in a rock pile right behind the hotel. As I said, we've also found imprints of early ferns. The brachiopod fossils were formed when the area was underwater, and the imprints of the ferns were made later when it was all land. The ferns and the other plants living in the swamp eventually got covered by dirt and rock, and years of pressure turned that biomass into the coal deposits of northwest Georgia. You can visit the coke ovens where coal was processed in Chickamauga, and if you find an old coal mine, if you can go through a pile of tailings, you will probably find these fossils in the shale. So Georgia was under a shallow sea, and then it started to dry up and get a little swampy. About 270 million years ago, something big happened. The landmass that Georgia was part of collided with another landmass and formed a huge continent called Pangaea. The force of this collision was strong enough to cause the rocks to actually melt and form granite below the earth. That's how the granite in Stone Mountain and Elberton got there, and that's why you don't find fossils in northeast Georgia. All that melted rock eradicated any fossils that may have already been there. This new mountain range was enormous, and it ran right down the middle of this new supercontinent called Pangaea. About 175 million years ago, Pangaea began to break up and form into the continents we have today. The geologic makeup of the Appalachian Mountain Range is very similar to mountain ranges on the east coast of Greenland, and on the other side of the ocean in West Africa and the western coasts of Europe. One part also broke off and became the British Isles. I remember a teacher I had years ago who would take cutouts of these continents and fit them back together into one piece, and running along that seam was the mountain range that would basically line the Atlantic Ocean. So we do know that Georgia was once populated by small, complex creatures living in shallow seas, but of course Steven Spielberg could never make a movie about trilobites attacking people, 
So jump ahead a few million years to a time when dinosaurs lived in Georgia. There were duck-billed hadrosaurs and one pretty fierce carnivore related to the Tyrannosaur called Apalachiosaurus that would grow up to 30 feet long. At the coast, skulls of an enormous creature related to the crocodile have been found. They'd be about 27 feet long and were the apex predator on the coast. These creatures stayed above the fall line. Below that, you'd find mostly mammals. Through the time of the dinosaurs and even after they died out, the rocks in the area were subject to weathering from rain and wind, and that weathering would produce deposits of kaolin. Kaolin has a thousand uses, from soap, toothpaste, light bulbs, paint, and even to soothe an upset stomach. Central Georgia is the main producer of kaolin. It's still mined today. The glaciers of the Ice Age never reached Georgia, and during that time, sea levels rose and fell. At that time, Georgia was populated by some mammals that don't exist anymore, including giant ground sloths, mastodons, mammoths, and even early elephants and camels. The final retreat of the seas formed the basic shape of the rivers we have today. And now we have Georgia as we know it. There's a lot of history here, and a lot of it took place a very long time ago. This is Moving Through Georgia, Episode 8, Early, Early Georgia. I've discussed the origin stories of the Cherokee in a previous episode that was pretty much just something fun for Halloween. To take it more seriously, we turn to James Mooney's 1900 book, Myths of the Cherokees, and some stories that were told to him. In a prehistoric time, we're not sure exactly how long ago, the Delaware people in North America were expanding to the east, and in an area vaguely around Ohio, they encountered the Talagui people. The Talagui people had built large earthworks in the area that made it easy to defend against the Delaware. The Delaware, with the help of the Iroquois, drove those people south. These battles took place over years, and some of those earthworks in the Ohio area are said to have the remains of Talagui people under them. These are the precursors to the Cherokee. To give you an idea of time, the stories explain that the main fighting between the Delaware and the Talagawi lasted through the leadership of 29 chiefs and was still basically wrapping up when Europeans began to land in the New World. The Cherokee themselves have stories that add to this narrative. They traditionally originated in the east toward the rising sun in a land with huge snakes and monsters living in the waters. These are the stories that they told. They moved west and began building earth mounds, and then they began moving south, probably from the pressure of the Delaware and the Iroquois. Now remember, these are stories that were passed down through the oral tradition, so we have a good mix of facts and legends here. The Cherokee moving south will find earthworks in their new land, which had been built by the previous inhabitants, and these were called the Moon-Eyed People. Mooney quotes a narrative from 1797 that describes the Moon-Eyed people as not being able to see very well in the daylight. Another story describes them as white people and says the Cherokee drove them south and then allowed them to scatter. These stories get quoted a lot by people as proof of other races of beings living on Earth, or European explorers who had been lost, 
or even aliens. I did a quick episode around Halloween on aliens in Georgia based on the Moon-Eyed People story. Again, it was Halloween and it was mostly for fun, but if you're into that kind of story, check it out. Either way, in 1540, the Cherokee were more or less firmly established in the mountains of Georgia and the Carolinas, and here come the Europeans. The first conquistadors that landed in Florida noticed the occasional glint of gold on the locals' jewelry, but they were told that the metal came from the north and was very far away. I'm sure that once the Spanish landed and the local natives began to realize who they were dealing with, they were more than happy to point them north and encourage them to go. Hernando de Soto set off along the Savannah River in search of gold mines and traveled as far north as North Carolina before turning back into the mountains of Georgia. He encountered various Native Americans, all of whom seemed to discourage the Spanish from staying too long in their territory. Mooney, at one point, tells about a stop the party made in a town called Guaxual, where they were well-received and even stayed in the chief's house. The house was built on a large mound, apparently the one and only Nicucci Mound in White County. We'll hear more about this in our episode on Saute Nicucci. DeSoto traveled down the Chattahoochee and eventually into Alabama, still searching for gold mines. He and his men would travel for three more years, eventually losing about half the men and DeSoto himself. Before we close, I just want to remind you that Moving Through Georgia is a Georgia history podcast focusing mostly on Northeast Georgia. If you like what you hear or you have any questions or comments or complaints, please send them to movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. So that's a quick rundown of the early, early, early history of Northeast Georgia. I'm going to follow this up with a creation story collected by James Mooney keep those comments and reviews coming and thank you for listening everybody's finger honey's finger high and low the yellow man left for the old left hand around the ring you go a grand old right left walk on your heel and toe from an a deputy gal to georgia that's all